All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be reading that in just a moment. So, you know, it's always kind of, for me, it's interesting that the holidays sneak up on us. And here, Thanksgiving is just in a few days. And, I mean, I love Thanksgiving, not for the bird. Now, the pies, that's another, you know, thing. But uh, for the food and all that, that's not my deal, really. It's just a reminder of all that God has blessed me with, but especially the people that he's put in my life and blessed me with, people like you. And so Thanksgiving and, of course, Christmas right around the corner. But what I want us to realize this morning, and, you know, I have probably preached this message, even though I tweak it every year for about seven or eight years now. And I always preach it around this time because for people who are dealing with grief or loss, the holidays, it intensifies their grief and loss. In fact, you might be one of those people either here at home or in the overflow. I know for me, whenever I experienced loss in my family a few years ago, holidays seem to intensify it. And so I always like to talk about this during this time of the year because not only for those of you that are dealing with grief and loss, but for the rest of us, because you and I, we need to be able to know how to come alongside someone and minister to someone who's dealing with grief and loss in a way that will really meet their needs. In fact, if you have 2 Corinthians 1, if you have it at home, I hope you find it as well, just follow along, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Now, if you and I weren't careful, we would just stop right there and go, man, I'm grateful for those verses because God is the God of all comfort and he can comfort me in the midst of anything that I go through. And that's a good thing, right? But it doesn't stop there. And so I hope that you and I won't stop there, but we'll hear this today so that we might be able to be an instrument of grace and mercy, maybe to someone who is dealing with grief and loss during the holidays. In fact, not just holidays, but all the time. But look at what the rest of the verse says, because it kind of gives a preface it, because it says, so that. So we're blessing God that he's a God of all comfort, and he comforts us, but doesn't stop there. It says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so the thing is, God comforts us so that we can come along beside somebody else who is dealing with loss and they're dealing with grief during this time. In fact, one of the things that uh, probably for me that stood out when I went through, when my sister passed away several years ago, is I realized I use cliches too much. So when someone's going through grief and loss, cliches don't work. In fact, what does Webster say? Webster says that a cliche is a phrase or opinion that is overused and it betrays a lack of original thought. And that should get an amen. 
because all of us have said cliches, and I realized myself that I had said so many cliches when I would come up to people who were dealing with maybe grief or loss, saying things that honestly weren't helpful at all. In fact, they were really thoughtless words that had no heart behind them, just kind of trying to fill up the air with something. I think sometimes we think we're helping them, but a cliche honestly does not really help them. In fact, what really helps people is someone like you and I who will carefully and prayerfully come alongside them and listen more than talk and have understanding instead of maybe always trying to maybe give advice, but just have some understanding and just a caring, caring person. And you probably know these things if you're going through it or if you're not going through it, but you probably know that some of the effects of grief and loss uh, maybe are new to you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever really sensed some loss. And honestly, it doesn't just have to do with if you've lost a loved one to death. It can be a loss of a job. It can be a loss of a relationship. It can be the loss of health. It can be a loss during this time of the virus, a loss of closeness with people. Maybe a loss of being able to get close and have fellowship with people or to be in quarantine or different things like that or to have to be at home and be at, watch church online. That could cause grief and you could sense loss as well. And so you have to realize it's not just one thing. People can experience grief and loss over many things. That's why you and I need to be very sensitive to one another during any of these type of things. But some of the, what they call unexpected guests of grief, some are memory loss, uh, emotional upheavals when maybe you're not a really emotional person and yet you can't control your emotions. I found myself, I'm not that emotional of a person, but like during my sister's home going and then my parents, I realized there were times I just couldn't control it. And so you need to understand that, but if you're the friend of a person who's going through something, you need to understand that as well. And you need to be able to say to them, hey, it's okay. Whenever they try to apologize for crying, you can say, you don't have to apologize. You can just go right ahead. In fact, uncontrollable weeping. Fear. Fear is an expression of grief. People who get afraid after they've gone through grief and loss. I know, I experienced that. Anger, people can experience anger during grief and loss. It's an unusual one. I'll explain a little more about that in a minute. But the other one is grief, guilt, guilty, feeling guilty. Whenever you experience loss and grief, you can feel guilty about that. And again, I want to explain a little more about that in a minute. But here's something that all of us need to realize, especially if you are going through it. That your grief is shaped by the thinking that you bring into your grief. Whether it is the correct thinking or the incorrect thinking, however you bring whatever thoughts you bring into it, beliefs you bring into it, it's going to shape how you respond to your grief. That is why it is absolutely important to have other people in your life who have some understanding and care for you so that 
whenever you're thinking wrongly during your grief, maybe when you're believing things that really are not true, that you have someone that is there with you to kind of help correct those things. And so I want to encourage you. I wish I would have had someone, especially because the really the first real grief I ever really experienced that I can remember is when my sister passed away. I didn't know what to do with it. I had already was, been a youth pastor for several years, but no one ever talked to me about how do you deal with grief, what do you do with it, how do you respond to it. In fact, I realized nobody else in the church I was serving at, they knew about grief either. And so I got lots of cliches, things like, well, at least it was only your sister. Like, if it's your sister, that's a less likelihood of grieving or so. Or things like, well, at least she's in heaven now. Well, that's true. And it is good, but it really doesn't help me with like the bitterness I feel for missing her at that moment, right? Or different cliches that came along. And so it is always good to understand what a person's going through. And so I just want to share a few of the things that I experienced. And so just from a firsthand experience, whenever my sister passed away, I remember I had this dreaded fear that I absolutely knew. I didn't know why. Like, why would I be fearful? And so as I thought of it, I'll just give you just a little of the background. Uh, about midnight, uh, I had a knock on my door. At that time, we lived out in the country. And, uh, you know, a knock at your door at midnight in the country is not a normally a welcoming thing, you know. And so I uh, kind of... Uh, uh, crept to the door. I was ready for what was behind the door. Um, opened up the door, and it was uh, my friend who lived just around the corner. And my uh, parents had called my friend to tell him my sister had just passed away. And the reason they did that, they didn't want the phone to ring at midnight at my house and wake up our small children and startle them. And so called him. He came around knocked on the door, told me about what had happened to my sister. From that time on, it took me a while because I dealt with fear, especially at nighttime. Someone knocking on the door just brought back these memories. So it's just interesting how those things work. But you need to realize that if you're experiencing grief and loss because fear can kind of overtake you if you don't watch out. But you and I need to realize it also to help people to, so that we can come alongside them so they maybe can not be as afraid. One of the other things that I experienced was guilt. Guilt, and I'll I just tell you why. In fact, if you've ever lost someone to death, you've probably experienced guilt. And you wonder, like, why would I experience guilt during this time? And just what uh, was behind mine was this um, uh, Valentine's had just passed. And uh, because of the situation of my sister's life, I was the only person who would get her a Valentine's on Valentine's Day. And that particular Valentine's, I was real busy and I honestly didn't have a lot of money. And I forego getting my sister a Valentine's or any flowers. And it was honestly just a few days after Valentine's when my sister went home to heaven. And I had this incredible guilt 
about not getting her a valentine. And yet, it was just intensified at her homegoing because I forgot or I chose not to do something. And if you don't watch out, you can allow guilt to eat you up during grief and loss. Now, mind you, there has not been a Valentine's Day since that I've not put flowers on a grave, and it's been now over 20 years ago. So I'm not letting that pass again. But another thing was unexpected responses to other people during my grief. I, I was um, surprised at myself how I would respond to people whenever they would say stupid things. Oh, I'm sorry, there's no children here. I'm sorry, children, you're not supposed to use that word. But to me at that time, that's like, and I honestly said it to a few people in my church, like, why did you say that stupid thing to me? Sorry again, not supposed to use that word. But the thing is, to me, is like, why would you say such a thing to me during this situation? And I was surprised. In fact, I felt guilty and I felt like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I would say such a thing to a person uh, whenever they were honestly just trying to give me some comfort and yet it came across wrong to me. And so you and I have to realize when someone's going through grief and loss, you have to watch out. They might say something to you. Because maybe what you said offended them. Maybe it came across the wrong way. And so just be careful of what you say and how you say it and when you say it. And honestly, not saying anything is a really good thing. It's just like being there and like listening and nodding and not trying to give all the answers and so forth. But it was just some unexpected things that I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that to that person or felt that way towards that person. But here's the last one that all of us need to realize, and I didn't realize at that time, but in Grief Share, you learn about what's called the ball of grief. Now, for all of us in this room, we are emotional creatures. God made us that way, right? And for some of us, we'd say that women are more emotional than men, and that is absolutely wrong. God made us all emotional beings. We just respond differently to them. And for men, we can usually handle one thing at a time, right? All right, all the women go amen, right? So anyway, men can usually handle one thing at a time. That means we can usually handle one emotion at a time. But during grief and loss, the truth is that a ball of emotions come with that. I don't know if you can see this very well, but if you can, you can see that there's confusion and sorrow and, I mean, all kinds of disappointment and fear all these things you're trying to deal with at one time, and it gets absolutely overwhelming. That's why some people in grief and loss want to be alone. They don't want anyone talking to them. They don't want to be around anyone because they're trying to figure out and deal with all these emotions at one time. In fact, because of those responses, I thought as a believer, in fact, I was a pastor at the time, I thought I was unspiritual because I was feeling these things. Because I was fearful and had some guilt and the way I responded. And 
I didn't know what to do with all these emotions. In fact, I actually had someone tell me that very thing. They said, I thought by now you would be over this. As if there is a time limit for you and I to deal with our grief and loss. Like, give the guy a few days, or at least by next Sunday, if you're a pastor, you should be all right. Or if you're not a pastor, we'll give you a couple weeks, and you should be like getting on with life and stuff. And yet you know, if you have dealt with grief and loss, that it is not a time limit. There is no time limit on any of it. And don't let anyone ever tell you, like, by a certain, certain time, you should be over it. The thing is, I'm not over it. I deal with it better. Certain days, uh, like my sister's birthday is coming up in just a few days. On certain days, like, got floods of memories. They're not as sad anymore. In fact, I'm happy for her because... Man, she is well and doesn't have a sick, diseased body now. She's in heaven well. And yet, it still brings back some memories and sorrow and missing and some of those things. So, I just have a question. In fact, you might have thought this before. You might have thought this about someone who's grieving. Like, surely they're spiritual enough to handle that. I want to ask you why do you think this verse is in the Bible? In fact, I want you to read it with me. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So I, I just want to ask you, and you just answer this to yourself, is this verse, it's kind of a trick question, is this verse true? And you're going to go, well, yeah, it's in the Bible, it's true, right? Yeah, so it, yeah, it is. But what this person is saying to God, is this a true statement? This person says, why, Lord, do you stand afar off? So this person what? Senses or feels as if God is standing way off. Or why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? Have you ever sensed that? Have you ever felt, have there been times in your life where you thought God's hiding himself? Or he's afar off and he's not paying attention. Or he allowed that thing to sneak up and happen and caught him off guard. Have you ever thought that? You've probably thought that. Are those statements true? No, they're not. So why is this in the Bible? It's because godly people, spiritual people, people who love God with all their heart, people who believe the promises of God, People who believe that, like for me, my sister, my mom and dad, they are in heaven and it's better for them now than it's ever been. Those things are all true. But the thing is, for a godly person, you can even feel like God is not there. You can feel alone. Even though it's not true, you can still feel that way. In fact, if you will, look in your worship guide to the left, there's a quote. I want you to just look at it. Maybe this will be one that you'll remember, hopefully underline. Grief blocks my ability to see God. But I shouldn't conclude that means he is absent. And so during grief, it can cloud things up. 
But you should not come to a conclusion that God has left you. You are left alone to your own being. Uh, He is there. In fact, this morning, when you walked in, did you realize the sun is shining brighter than it's ever shown before today? Just above the clouds, right? Yeah. If you got in a plane, you went above the clouds, it's shining as bright as it ever has. And yet, because we got a cloud cover today, you and I are kind of in this dreary, cold, misty kind of atmosphere. But the truth is, the sun is shining as strong as it's ever shown. And so don't let just the clouds of grief and sorrow cloud you to a place where you think, man, God has totally abandoned me. Because we know from the truth of Scripture that he has not, and he will not at all. And so I want to give you just a few things that have helped me over the years. I think it will help other people. I think I have found it to be helpful to some people that I've dealt with whenever they've come to me during their grief and loss. I hope it will help you. And here's the number one. Number one thing, and that is to receive God's comfort. Receive God's comfort. And here's the thing about comfort that God gives. It might be that you have the wrong definition or idea of what God's comfort is. Think about a moment. When you and I think, when I think of like God comforting me, the first thing that comes to my mind is what? That God would take this thing away from me. And if he would take it completely away from me, I would find comfort. And so if that is my definition and God is not taking it away, then what do I start thinking about God? That God really doesn't keep his word. That God really isn't the God of all comfort, who comforts me in all the things that I go through. And yet the thing is, God's not the one that's wrong. It's my definition of what I think comfort is, the kind of comfort that God gives me. See, the comfort that God gives me is this. God comes along beside me, and he fortifies me in the midst, in the middle of it. You read through all the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you read through all of it. Many, many, many times God never delivered them out of it, right? But in the midst of it, God gave them incredible comfort. For the Apostle Paul, many times God did not deliver him from that. Ultimately, he did not deliver him from the dungeon. That was the city sewer. And he did not deliver him and comfort him by taking him away from having his head cut off. But what did Paul say? In the midst of it, God was giving him comfort. And so listen, if you're going through grief and loss... And you're thinking, I will only be comforted if God takes this completely out of my life or takes me out of this difficult situation. It probably is not going to happen like that. And if that's what you're expecting, you will be severely disappointed because God usually doesn't take the suffering away or out, but he comes alongside in the middle of it to comfort you in the middle of that, to strengthen you ultimately to give you what you need. In fact, one of the ways that you and I can receive comfort is this, is to be in community. Now for me, 
I'm like some of you all. Some of y'all, like me, whenever you deal with something, you want to be alone. Some of you in this room, you want to be with people. And so for me, whenever that happens, I think you're weird. And then whenever it happens, you think I'm weird because I don't want to be around a lot of people. So we, we do it differently. But the truth is, one of the ways that God gives us comfort, what? Is to be in community. And hear me, not only during loss and grief, because you and I are not always in that state. For the most of us, we're in an incredibly joyful time in our lives, even in the midst of COVID. But the thing is, you and I always need to be in community because of this very thing. We are not always hearing, and we are not always thinking, and we are all not always believing the right things. Think for a moment. Who talks to you more than anybody? Yourself. You talk to yourself more than anybody. And the thing is, what are you telling yourself? What do you tell yourself? Are you telling yourself the truth? Are you telling yourself the promises of God? For me, if I don't watch out and I'm alone very long, I will start listening and believing my own junk. That's why I need to be around other people. That's why I need to be with people who will listen, who will question me with love, who will speak truth into my life. And honestly, not just during loss and grief, but all of life, you and I need people who will speak into our lives. In fact, again, look left, if you will, on your community, your worship guide. There's a quote. I want you to look at it. In fact, there are some things I would encourage you to underline and listen to what it says. We should fortify ourselves against the dark hours of depression by cultivating a deep distrust of the certainties of despair. Now, before reading, does that make sense? Have you ever been in despair And you're thinking and you're telling yourself things like, this is the end of the world. It will never get better. Nothing ever is going to ever happen good again. All of life is just a waste. Uncertainties. And we begin to believe them. It goes on to say, despair is relentless in the certainties of its pessimism. But we have seen again and again from our own experience and others that absolute statements of hopelessness that we make in the dark are notoriously unreliable. Our dark certainties were not certainties. After you kind of come out of it, you're thinking like, man, what was I thinking? Like, why was I thinking that? Why would I ever think that way? In fact, I've told myself, I'll never think that way again. And then something else comes along and what? I'm thinking that way again. Believing the uncertainties of pessimism and despair. Our dark certainties, they were not certainties. While we have the light, let us cultivate distrust of the certainties of despair. And one of the ways that you can do that is to be in community with other people. And have the truth spoken into your life and praying with other people and coming alongside other people. Another thing, I had to learn this a hard way, 
In fact, it wasn't until I went through my first grief share that I, I learned this. And then it made sense. And I hope it does to you as well. And that is, be careful in your grief not to add grief to your grief. In other words, some people, when they grieve, they spend too much. They find comfort by spending too much. And maybe at the moment that feels good, but at the end of the month, when the bill comes in the mail, you've what? You've added grief to your grief. Some people drink, and then in grief, they drink too much, and they add grief to their grief. Some people medicate, but in grief, they might think, well, I might medicate just a little bit more, and yet it adds grief to your grief. And here's something about grief you and all, all of us need to understand. During grief, you and I must be very careful not to justify and rationalize sin. During grief, we're looking for comfort. During grief, we're like looking for something to kind of help us to stay. And so what happens, I'm telling you, hear me, your flesh, the world, and the devil, our enemy, are relentless. And whenever you're grieving, they don't go, oh, poor you, and come alongside to give you any comfort. What they will do is they will come alongside you and say, well, go ahead and indulge. Go ahead. That's going to be okay. Go ahead and justify. That's justifiable. You can rationalize that away. And so be careful during grief. That's why you and I need people. That's why if you're grieving, you need people beside you. You need people who will tell you the truth, who will hold you accountable to help you to not add grief to your grief. Be careful not to justify or rationalize. You know, one of the things that happens during the holidays, especially, especially during Christmas... In fact, if, if you didn't know this, Christmas is the number one holiday that when people are going through grief, especially like the loss of a loved one to death, is they want to just skip it. They would like, let's just skip Christmas this year. Let's just not do that this year. Or they might like uh, something else, like they used to have, maybe have family reunions, and they would say, well, I'm just not going to do that this year. I'm just going to skip it. I don't want to be a part of that because it brings up too many memories and stuff. I was one of those people. I thought, let's just skip that because it brought up family memories. But I want to encourage you and I in something because deal is the purpose of Christmas. So I want to ask you, is this Christmas like, I mean, is this why we gather on Christmas to have a big meal and to have all the family and all that. that. That's an expression, right, of celebrating and being together, right? Uh, and here's another one. Is this Christmas like uh, having lights on your tree and only if it snows? Because, you know, of course it snowed in Bethlehem that night, I'm sure, uh, on the first, you know, Christmas. I'm sure it did. I'm sure there were lights on the manger and stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I already have my lights up. I already have them up. Sherry says, you're already doing it. It's not even Thanksgiving. I said, well, that's what you do in quarantine. 
you know, you put your lights up, you know. So the thing is, like, is that, well, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it helps us kind of celebrate and makes us think of all kinds of uh, nice things, stuff like that. The truth is, the first Christmas, it was probably hot, dusty, dark. It was hostile. People didn't care if there was a pregnant woman, didn't care if there was a baby going to be born. We're not going to give up our room. Just go, hey, you can go have the stable. Oh, I care. It was busy. It was hustle and bustle. People were running to and fro, not to the shopping malls and all that, uh, but they were running to and fro so they could get the census in. And the thing is, Christmas and all of its glitter and everything, and even during grief and loss, it is not all of that, even though those things are really fun and great. But the deal is, Christmas is this. Christmas is God dealing with our, your greatest loss. You and I, before Christ, were lost as could be. You and I could do nothing on our own. You and I, to this day, if you're without Christ, you can't do a thing to earn it. In fact, some people think that when a person goes to hell, they're going to pay for their sins. Listen, you can be in hell for eternity and never pay for one sin. You and I can do nothing for our sin and about it. Only God could. And Christmas is God looking into our lives he knew there was an incredible loss in all of our lives because of our turning our backs on him. And we celebrate Christmas because why? It is his cure to our incredible sin disease. And so Christmas is all about what? It's about his deliverance. It's about him coming. And, and so even in the midst of all the glamour and stuff, and even if you are grieving, you must realize during the holiday yeah, you might miss your family. You might miss some memories that you had. But to just say, I'm not going to do it, would be really a, a misgiving because you and I must remember why. Why do we celebrate? Because God saw this incredible need in our lives. Only he could meet that need. I have one last one. This might seem a little odd, like showing you this picture. Of, if you don't know who this is, this is Jim Elliott and his wife, Elizabeth. And they had just been married. They moved to the jungle to take the gospel to, you've heard this, I, I talk about them all the time. He's like one of my heroes kind of a thing. And they took the gospel to the Amazon to where there was a group of people without the gospel. In fact, they were just known as murderers and they were taking the gospel. And they had just been married for about three years when Jim and then he had four of his friends that they chose to go together and find these people so that they could share the gospel with them. If you don't know this story, I'd encourage you to read the book. Uh, or uh, there's actually a couple of movies that have been put out about them. It's an incredible story. In fact, they go to take the gospel, and the very people they go to take the gospel come out and actually kill every 
one of them. In fact, one of these men, the guy all the way over on over here, his name is Roger. They never found his body after they were martyred. And so the wives of these men were left back in their kind of jungle huts thinking, what should we do? Elizabeth Elliot wondered, should she go home? They had a child by now. Should she go home? Should she go to her parents and help uh, raise her child? Or should she stay on the path that God set them on and continue what her husband and her friends did? And so in a lot of prayer, and it took her several days, but she came up with a saying that if you know anything about Elizabeth Elliot, one of her sayings was this, do the next thing. And so Elizabeth chose to do the next thing. And in her heart and mind, the next thing was, is to go to the very people that killed her husband and her friends and take the gospel to them. And so here's just a picture of Elizabeth and their daughter. They went to the very village. If you know the story at all, many in the village came to know Christ because they come to realize here's the wife of a martyr coming to give us the message that her husband and friends were coming to bring. And she brought the gospel. And so in her mind, what did she do in her grief and loss? And hear me, if you're going through grief and loss, this might kind of sound even harsh. But I could remember it in my own life if I only had maybe someone remind me of this. To do the next thing. Don't sit. Don't get to where you're not doing anything. Don't rationalize, justify. Do the next thing. In fact, again, there's a quote if you'll look at it. Obedience is the only path to freedom from the tyranny of loss. Loss tempts us to believe that something has been taken from us and that nothing could ever be good enough to make up for it. I hope you camp on that a moment. If you've ever been in the midst of deep loss, you can have thoughts that, God, you took something from me that I can't live without. You took something from me. There will never be anything good enough to make up for it. Loss bids us to lock our hearts into grumbling and bitterness, believing that we have been misused and that the best is behind us. Loss without obedience breeds despair. But obedience is a declaration of trust. In fact, obedience is the expression of hope because obedience engages the world as if God really and truly is good. And as if the things we do really matter to his plans. Obedience in the face of anguish and loss says that the only redemption worth having is the redemption God alone can bring. To walk in obedience is to affirm that God's answer to loss is big enough and it is deep enough to overcome the grief and the disappointment that we now taste so keenly. Hear me. This is the absolute perfect time to be talking about these things. And it's also the perfect time to take communion. And that's what we're going to do. 
Because at the beginning of holidays, as we continue like to navigate through COVID and all that it is bringing us, we must not be overcome. Hear me, overcome. We can become overcome by grief and loss, fear, anxiety. You and I need to have prudence. We need to have discretion, yes, but not fear and anxiety. And here's the reason why, because hear me, fear, anxiety during all sorts of things like this can cause you and I to forget And what's so amazing to me, because I'm thinking of my own self, caused me to forget God. Of all things, of all things, grief could cause a person to forget that God is still God and still in control. We must remember that our God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him for every one of us, will he not continually guide us, be with us, direct us, go before us, be there when we feel like nobody else is there, hear us when we don't think he is listening, that he is there in the midst of it.